Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's an enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday's Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan again today and for the next two weeks. And as well as me being here for the next two weeks, it seems like we're going to be having this hot weather for the next week up until Friday anyway at least. And uh, you might have heard Vic mention in the news there that it's going to be hotter today than it was yesterday. So I don't know, I mean, like I think we're all in a great mood and we're all enjoying this, but is anyone thinking that it's getting maybe a little bit too hot? I don't think think we're really equipped for this kind of weather here. I brought the kids down to the playground last night at around half seven and even at that stage I was just finding it a bit like too hot but listen I, I'm not play, I'm not praying for rain just yet but if anybody is finding it difficult to come up with healthy meal ideas because they don't want to be in the kitchen stay listening because I will be speaking later to a Cork chef who has some tips um, on that. Um, I'll also be speaking later on in the show to a young Cork man who is celebrating milestone birthday today and and, um, you know, a few years ago, he thought it wouldn't be possible because he got um, a life-threatening diagnosis. Um, but now this morning, first of all, I'm joined in studio by the Minister with Responsibility for Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth, Anne Rabbit. Good morning, Minister. Good morning, Fiona. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Now, you're in Cork for the next... Uh, you're in Cork yesterday and today and tomorrow. Just tell me a little bit about why you're here, first of all. Well, there's there's a few reasons why I'm here. First and foremost, my colleagues um, Michael Moyna and Paddy O'Sullivan, Chris O'Sullivan, had been asking me to come down. So that's that's the main purpose to see some of the projects they've been working with and the groups that they've been working with. The other reason being is, as everybody knows, I have been a stickler in relation to assessment of needs and the funding that we would have allocated last September to ensure that the backlog was cleared. And then we had a cyber attack and I wasn't getting my figures. So my whole idea is to go out also and meet the HSC to hear on the ground exactly how they're progressing, mm-hmm. how we're progressing with PDS, how we're managing our posts and actually what the budgetary requirements would be heading into next October. So I will meet the HSC as well tomorrow, Fiona. So if I can't get it one way, the information, which would mm-hmm. normally be via email, I come and get it myself by meeting the people in person. Because a lot of these groups that you have met, for example, the Rainbow Club in Mahan, um, they're, um, I suppose, working on absolutely no funding at all and they're supporting so many young people here in Cork. 
Absolutely. And I was out there yesterday and it's an amazing um, setup. Caroline is a light bulb. She's unbelievable. And so are the team of, of volunteers and staff that are out there with her. And I, really, I have to tell you the little story about why I ended up at Rainbow was I was following it uh, on Twitter. This young man appeared up on it, Sean the Baker. Yeah. And he was making bread coming out of lockdown and everything else like that. And I was going and I would be very interested in disability and employment and getting into the workforce. And here I've seen this young man being very enterprising and from there I'd start to do my research but you are right Fiona going back to your real question is um, they support 512 young people out there no HSC funding till we could confirm to them yesterday they are going to get funding for a manager to look at their development plan and um, we also looked at the HSC are very interested in their, their sibling club proposal and also in their cyber cafe which one of the young men um, pr- developed himself but with the support, as I say, with the team out there for €3,600, they're able, they have six laptops where children rotate on an hourly basis on a Saturday morning or on a Tuesday evening to do some coding. But the most important piece about the coding, which the, the young man said yesterday, I don't want to say his name because I'd probably say it wrong. I think it was Dylan said to me was, while they're coding and they're engaging, they're also speaking to each other. Because normally when you talk about coding and gaming, you're just down the line. Mm. But in this particular instance, they were all talking to each other and they were actually coming out of themselves, which is fabulous to see. I suppose one of the things that has happened over the pandemic is that um, a lot of these centres had were forced to close and people were doing a lot of work with people um, from their homes. But um, one thing that we were talking about here in the studio earlier is a lot of um, people with challenges, people living with challenges, may not have been able to access the internet or maybe access some of the websites that people were working off. Is that something that we should be looking at here in this country? Absolutely. Um, I, I think we all need to look at that whole integrated approach. Um, Fiona, we don't have that um, connectivity uh, and that is, is missing. Plus the fact when you look at what the, the the games that they were looking at in Rainbow Club is how to connect that up with other clubs around the country where you could actually develop a relationships as well with. But yes. I suppose another um, byproduct of the pandemic is outdoor dining and I'm sure you've been around the city and you've seen that here in Cork we have a lot of um, outdoor dining um, a lot of the businesses have spent a huge amount of money on putting tables and chairs outside on the footpaths but we've had a lot of um, callers here on this show and we've covered it a few times is access to, to footpaths for people who are in wheelchairs or who have walking aids or people who have visual impairments. Is it um, and I know local authorities have said that they're doing all they can but should we be looking at this across the whole country is the government doing enough to support this like more access for people on on footpaths and footways well actually on Last Thursday, I think it was Fiona, I met with Peter Burke to discuss this, who has responsibility for local government, which would also oversee outdoor dining, the funding of the 254, which is the licence actually, um, the the umbrella licence that you are granted uh, as to how it works. So last week, the minister wrote to all local authorities to tell them to be cognizant of the fact that when you are putting, awarding the umbrella licence, actually, if it is going over a wheelchair parking spot, can you relocate that to the nearest possible space? Can you ensure you have the drop curb? Can you ensure that it has enough accessibility either side um, for that wheelchair, car, for the car to be able to access into it? But you are right as well like it, it is wonderful to have the outdoor dining and it's wonderful to see businesses starting to home. But from a person that is visually impaired the, the, the long cane, they have to be able to tap it off a structure and that's why we need to move the the dining onto the footpath and that's why 
we need to be able to leave the buildings available for the long cane um, movement. Mm. But I, I will say, in fairness to Minister Burke, and I am meeting with um, Colm Kelleher, the, the chairman um, of the County Council, City Council, later on, just after this, um, to have that exact conversation as to how are we doing, what aids, what supports, and what awareness do we need to create with people to ensure that it can happen without actually causing inconvenience to anyone, but at all times ensuring that we have disability in mind. And it's important also to say, I'm staying in the Metropole Hotel mm. and there's a street at the side of the Metropole Hotel. I think it's called, is it Hanley Street? Yeah. All right. And I was out there yesterday evening with Aaron and Roger, Roger and Kathleen and um, Kieran, and we were having a conversation about, that used to have footpaths, that used to be quite run down and all of a sudden the footpaths are gone, they've laid down fabulous pavement, they also has that non-stick or that stick that you can't um, slip going down on it mm. and has opened up an entire space. So that's the positivity of creativity that can be done. It's an access space for everybody and it's that ambitious piece that I would love to see that includes all. I suppose there you were mentioning uh, liaising with other ministers and it's an issue I think that's been raised time and time again as well um, that people living with challenges and people living with disabilities have they face daily daily problems and should the government be looking at this as a whole rather than looking at disability through a medical lens and maybe just your own department focusing on this should it be some a, a, an entire government approach? Um, absolutely and I suppose this time last year when the Taoiseach appointed me as a Minister for Disabilities um, on his, the night that he rang me he says your sole purpose, Anne, is to remove disability out of the Department of Health <coughs> and bring it to the Department of Children, Integration, um, Equality and Youth. And at the moment, that is exactly what I'm doing. Now, I'm very clear about it. I won't leave the Department of Health till I bring the whole budget of 2.2 billion with me. I'm being really supported by my, by my colleague here in Cork, um, Michael McGrath, in ensuring that's happening. But the Taoiseach had the vision. You are so right that we cannot be looking at disability through a medical lens. We all have health issues, but for disability, it's more about integration and inclusion. And it's to stop this othering piece that takes place. So by being in that department of children, I can then branch out into the Department of Enterprise and Jobs when we talk about employment. I can t branch into social protection and talk about the ability programme. I can branch back over into transport and talk about accessible transport to ensure that at all times persons with disability can go and please, as they so wish, no different to anybody else. So this move will be a really positive um, reformal piece for disability, I see. Because even as you mentioned there about employment, um, we've received messages from people who say that, OK, the government is great at supporting courses and equal access to education. But once they come through that, then they're not getting equal opportunities to full time employment that a lot of places will take them on on a part time basis. Is that something that can be addressed or are you looking at? And would you believe it? It is being addressed. Um, uh, and it, 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 the, the, the footsteps had started before I ever arrived in my office, but it's something I plan to grow and develop on. So yesterday I was um, down at the down with the ability program down in and if I just the, the Euro Business Park in Little Island here in Cork, and they talked about they had sixty two people on the particular course, and of that sixty two, 
58 of them continued in employment throughout, are, are, are currently employed, but over 50% of them worked throughout the entire pandemic. And um, one of the young gentlemen I, that I met yesterday is working above in the, the vaccination centre. And they were able to tell me um, the value of that supported piece that is being done. And Newell and the team down there as actually how to put in the foundation to transition. We all need to support in transitioning into employment, but perhaps we need to put in an extra layer of support both for the employee and the employer for the relationship to work. And I must say, I was really amazed with what I seen yesterday. It was unbelievable. Minister Han Rabbit, we've just had um, somebody call us there on one eight fifty seven one five nine nine six, um and they've said, I'm just down in West Cork listening with two people I met with special needs and their families, they say they cannot get respite care. What's going on there? And that is one of the reasons I am in Cork to understand exactly where we are with respite. Respite, um, and not to, to gloss over it, um, during the pandemic, respite was not running at maximum capacity by any manner or means. Mm. Families were completely and utterly stretched. Some respite houses were used as isolation centres at a stage in it. Um, I'm hoping that that has been reversed as I go around. I'm also hoping to hear that um, respite is opening up and that um, families are being contacted by the HSE to say that respite, while it might be running at full capacity, that it is returning, the service is returning and hopefully uh, as close to 100% as possible by September. Okay, so um, people like that, then they can look forward to maybe getting respite in September? Absolutely. And that was one of the things that I secured in the budget last year. Um, I secured um, 5.5 million for nine respite houses, predominantly focused on children's respite because I was listening, no different to your caller after ringing in there, to the heartbreak stories where families needed just one night, just one night to have a solid night's sleep, that they didn't need to be up at four o'clock in the morning, that they didn't need to be worrying. Um, so we, we've invested as a government into nine respite houses, which will be fully funded, um, in one in every CHO. Uh, and it's a small step, but it's a step I plan to, to continue building on. And as I talk about Michael McGrath as minister with, with the public purse, they would be the issues I would be presenting to him that we need to build capacity into the sector, particularly in relation to a respite, because if we can actually develop that respite piece, we can hold families together an awful lot longer. We can build in that resilience because if they know that they're going to receive respite on a regular basis, whether it's once a month or two nights every two months, they know in their diary they are going to get that support. That in itself is a huge support for them and it's welcome direction. Minister, another caller here um, to the show. Uh, people who receive a disability allowance are not entitled to a grant to retrofit their houses from SEAI. Have you any idea why that is? No, um, I don't. Um, my understanding was that people that lived in group homes or which was part of decongregation, the fact that there could have been a number of people in the house that would have had a disability allowance, that that was what was preventing them from having it. Um, I, it was actually Michael Moynihan who brought this to my attention um, a number of months back and we're trying to work our way through that because everybody has the right to ensure that their mm. houses can be properly retrofitted. Nobody, even with a disability, nobody should be othered on this one. And even on that um, topic, somebody else has called in to say there is a housing crisis for people with dis- without disabilities, it is even worse for us who have extra needs. Is that something that you've been made aware of by people as you tour around? Absolutely. There's a complete crisis um, for persons with disability and I'm very fortunate that as we're doing the the, um, Dara is going to be producing a housing for all. He has actually listened and met with me in relation to disability and disability 
persons are going to be part of the plan. So when we talk, and we're not putting a percentage on it, we talk as, as affordable, we talk social, but within that mix is also um, disability. So when you look at it, um, we have approximately 2,400 persons that need to be decongregated. We have 1,400 people in nursing homes who need access to independent living space. We have families over 65 where you could have, um, from what I can gather, the guts of 800, 900 families. All of these people need access to accommodation with universal design built in the community, part of the community. So I know straight away from the Cork point of view, from the group I met yesterday in Cope, there's 500 people that need access to the housing list and that's only one organisation. So yes, and that will be about 5% of the population of which is looking for housing here in Cork. So we do have a crisis in disability. I know yesterday you visited Autism Dogs Ireland here in Cork and we've had a caller here again to 185715996. My nephew is six years old. He's a complete flight risk as he lives with autism. He cannot get an autism support dog. We are fortunate enough that we could even pay for one but there is no supply. The government need to do something about this and create a supply. Is that something thing that you could look at? Um, what I would love to look at is I, the supply of dogs would be a little bit outside my control um, because I do think autism dogs, they, they have a plan they have a very good strategic plan down there they talk about um, the, 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 the two different breeds that they actually mix to actually have the proper temperament mm. um, but when I was down there, I, like I met um, autism dogs in Dublin the AV room about three years ago I actually came looking to them yesterday because I actually appreciate the phenomenal work that they do with no support, no funding um, in relation to the child that's the flight risk and you te- hear about the 18 months that they put into preparatory work in order to have a dog completely compatible and the wearing of the harness to actually to ensure that that child actually can reach a space where the parent doesn't need to be continuously worrying that the child can be let out around the, the, the backyard and is not going to jump the wall or take mm. off or the same with the school or the playground. Um, so what I would love to see myself funding, and this is something I have to go back to Dublin on, is the aftercare, that transition piece when the dog moves to the home as that intervention for the family. There is a fair bit involved in that. It's approximately 2,000 per dog. This year, I think there is 12 dogs going to be going into that piece of work. Uh, and next year they're hoping to have 24 dogs brought on stream but to your listener they have a really good strategic plan they're after moving in to, to Cork itself with a larger unit so they can uh, cater for more dogs as well Could we not bring trainers for dogs or aftercare as you were talking about there from other countries or whatever resources are needed can we not bring them in here? And I and I don't I don't like this is for autism dogs to to, to answer yeah. the, some of these questions. But to be fair to them, they have such a fantastic team of employees and volunteers and, and fosterers for these puppies and to train the puppies and everything else. Like their makeup is, is fantastic, and I do think with their new unit they will expand and they have a vision to expand. Okay, another issue that we have here in Cork is the Cork Life Centre and it's a much-loved institution here in Cork and it's helped so many young people to get an education where maybe the mainstream didn't suit them um, and they're facing a funding crunch. But, uh, do you think it's time now for a bit of flexibility for institutions like the Cork Life Centre? Um, yes, is the answer and I want to acknowledge the work that goes on in the Cork Life Centre. I also do know that there was an intervention um, recently by the by the Taoiseach uh, and there was an announcement but I don't understand the complexities or the compatibilities that's required perhaps 
Uh, and I do know that the Taoiseach has still an ongoing conversations with, with, with Don in relation to this. Mm. But if I just reverse it up, um, so I'm not from Cork, but I would have heard about the Cork-like centre yeah. um, long before it became an issue. And I, and, I, and I do think it's a positive recognition of government where they do want to invest and they do want to actually support the, the longevity of the Cork Life Centre and recognise that the ability that this man has brought and the resilience he has given to young people to access education, to access employment, but to, most importantly, to exit out of the dark places that they might have been in. And also um, also to give them the belief in themselves to have a positive career. That's what Don and the team has done down there. And I recognise, and I heard about this above in Galway, um, and long long before I became a minister. So, like, it's unique in what it does. Mm. Um, but sometimes we can't fit um, round pegs into square holes because it just doesn't work that way. And sometimes that's where departments find that piece of matching quite difficult. And I have no doubt that Don and the, the Taoiseach, in, in fairness to the Taoiseach, he is doing his level best to, to support trying to meet a proper match here. Because as you said, it is unique, but it's a model that has worked for so many people, do you know? So, I mean, like, shouldn't the government really be like following that rather than trying to impose a certain model on them? Absolutely. And that's the flexibility and agility that that we sometimes is very rigid within departments. And let's say it as it is. It can be very mm. rigid. To be, to be honest with you, without the government intervention, it probably would never have got the spotlight or the support because it didn't meet the criteria. Okay, um, but yet at the same time, it does phenomenal work in delivering what it does. And you are right. It's something like that that needs to be cloned because if it actually ticks the box for the young person, that's who comes first in this. And if it has positive deliverables out of it, like any person we can save from addiction and any person we can save from going into the prison services, that is a positive intervention. But it's to take the learning out of that to see how it would work. And the best people to do that, you couldn't have better than Don, who is leading it up, and the Taoiseach, who has the capabilities and the persona to ensure that the flex and to be fair to Minister Foley, she did come um, with the funding, but perhaps it's not meeting the criteria. I know that my colleague Padraig O'Sullivan has has raised this issue uh, on the floor of the hall, and I do believe there's a willingness there to still work this out. Just on, on a positive note, um, uh, the, the jam card, I think it was kind of uh, brought in here in Cork and uh, it's, it's working very well. Is it? People here seem to be using it and seem to be very happy with it. Um, do you think that people are giving a little bit of extra kindness when they see it? Absolutely. Um, so I have to recognise the work that a local man here, Kieran Delaney, mm. has played on this. And yesterday was fantastic to launch another jam card launch um, down in the Metropole Hotel. And I was joined there by Sandra Hurley and I mentioned Roger and Aaron and Kathleen already from the Metropole Hotel. But it is brilliant to see. Just a minute. Uh, and the recognition of that card and what it does um, to people. And I, and I launched it a few weeks ago as well in Little, in Dublin with, with Ciarán. And I think we're getting to the space where people understand what the jam card is. Just a minute. Uh, and I do think disability is on a very positive trajectory. And when you have the hotel group coming on board, when you have the Littles coming on board, when you have ambassadors like Ciarán, um, coming on board, promoting disability in a positive light for families uh, uh, and for people themselves, seeing that their awareness is being accepted and recognised and, and 
in the public domain. I think we're getting to a positive space in the disability conversation. Especially for people who have a hidden disability, I suppose it's really useful for them, particularly if they need to go into somewhere just to even use a toilet, because we've had the whole issue of a lack of toilets here in the city and across the country. So I suppose the jam card really comes in handy for people like that. Absolutely. And like you just say, like it's, it's, it's just a card that people can carry in their wallet and when it's produced, it's produced at discretion. You don't go around flashing it, but it's produced. And people then on the other side of it, and the retailer has the awareness, has the responsibility of accepting it. And I think that is really, really positive. And I think this jam card, you'll see more and more um, units taking it up, more and more hotel groups. And fair play to the Metropole Hotel for, for leading out on it. Fair play to Little. And I'm looking forward to more and more coming on board. And, and that is... Hopefully we'll get to the space then where we don't need to have a card mm. that when you say it by word of mouth, you don't need to actually have to prove that you have or you haven't that you're taking at face value. And that's an inclusive society. But we've started in the right place by having the jam card. Brilliant. Minister Anne Rabbit, thank you very much for joining me in the studio this morning. Thank you, Fiona. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 On Quartz 96FM. Last week, the government announced that indoor summer camps would not be going ahead because of COVID restrictions. And it was a massive blow for so many parents here in Cork and across the country whose children were really looking forward to it, just like Julie Sweeney. Now, Julie joins me on the line this morning. Good morning, Julie. Morning, Fiona. Julie, uh, just tell me a little bit about um, your own situation and what it meant to you to hear that the summer camp wasn't going to be going ahead. Yeah, just from the indoor summer camp point of view, it was very disappointing. Um, my own little lad would have complex needs and he was booked into actually an occupational therapy camp. Um, and that, that was obviously indoors, so that got cancelled. Um, and very, very disappointed little boy. And I suppose I understand, obviously, look, with the numbers rising, safety is a concern, but nonetheless, it was disappointing. When was it supposed to be going ahead? Um, the week after next. Okay. And have you explained to him that it's not going to be happening now? I have, yeah. And he is disappointed. And, you know, he asks every so often when's the OT camp. He loves his OT. It's very beneficial to him. Mm. And for you as a mum, what would it have meant to you to be able to send him to the camp? And how was it then delivering that heartbreaking news to him? Yeah, so he he did one before um, and it's, I suppose it's kind of like boot camp from an OT point of view. You know, it's just five days, well, three days, three or four days of fun. Um, he really gets kind of a good sensory workout from it. He really, really enjoys it. Um, and he was looking forward to it. It was... You know, it's it's a long enough summer, I suppose. Um, now, he's been lucky. He had his July provision. He's booked into cool camp as well. Mm-hmm. So at least that was a, a couple of weeks, uh, you know, taken up. But the OT camp would have been just kind of beneficial from a therapeutic point of view. So to miss out on that was a bit of a blow for him. I know you said that you understand why they can't go ahead, but do you think that um, there could have been, you know, a way that they could have gone ahead, maybe in like little groups or little bubbles, the way they have the school system? Well, I suppose his he's particular camp, the OT one, would have been small enough anyway, because, you know, it is a therapeutic camp, so it would only have been a handful of numbers anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that the, the space just, you know, they are confined to, to an indoor space because of the various equipment and stuff that they'd be using. Um, I suppose it's difficult, I can see from both, I can see from 
disappointing point of view. And then also we will be a very COVID conscious family. You know, I've been told mm-hmm. just because of his complex medical needs, he can't afford to catch COVID. So from that point of view, you know, I have to be totally on board with safety is first. They've been able to make it work for restaurants. Uh, why do you think they haven't been able to make it work for mothers like yourself? Um, I think, Fiona, I suppose just from a personal point of view, we would be that bit more COVID conscious. And even if there is a relaxation of rules, you know, we, we'd be a little bit more cautious anyway. So, like, for the, for example, the fine weekends there, you know, we didn't hit the beach, for example, because I was like, no, too crowded, you know, so... Yeah. I think every family has to make the decision that fits them best. Um, and for us all along throughout the whole COVID process, um, you know, I've always gone that little bit above and beyond maybe the, you know, relaxation of rules just because we would be that extra conscious around COVID. So it's a decision for every family and, and what suits them best. But for mm-hmm. us, with the rising numbers, I probably would have been that bit more worried anyway. Yeah. We've heard an awful lot of people say that children have been the forgotten people and children with extra needs more so um, throughout this pandemic. Is that something that you think yourself? Yeah, um, you know, children with extra needs, they just, you know, get hit that bit harder. Mm. And and all children have have really suffered throughout this pandemic, you know, um, socially, you know, it's been a huge impact on them. and I do think, I, I was listening to Minister Robert mm. interview there, and I do think there's, you know, a huge legacy coming down the line of, of the restrictions on children and, you know, how they've been affected. And I really do hope people in government are planning to adequately resource um you know, all services for children, not just those with disabilities, but all children who will need the, the additional help that they're going to need down the line. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And with the case numbers going up, like, would you be afraid now of school going back in, in September? Um, yeah, I would. Yeah. I'm actually teaching myself. Oh, yeah. uh, so I really get the impact in the classroom. Yeah. And as I said, you know, you just have to, it is what it is. Um you know, you'll have to work with the restrictions and, and the measurements that you have in place. But again, like that, um, I think there's more that could be done and should be done. Mm. Um, and I really hope it will be done by September. But the clock is ticking in terms of planning. Um, it's exceptionally stressful and, and principles. I, I genuinely don't know how they do it um, in terms of getting last minute guidelines and, you know, having to turn it around for Monday morning for, for school opening at nine o'clock. It's yeah. incredibly difficult. So, you know, I suppose planning for the worst case scenario needs to happen now. And, you know, the, the necessary measures that might be needed need to be planned for and put in place immediately. Absolutely. So for next week, what's on the agenda then? So for your little boy? Uh, can we next week? So outdoor fun uh, for five days. <laughs> going to really, really enjoy it. Yeah, well, hopefully the weather will be okay and we'll be all able to go outside. I mean, I think um, at the minute it's probably nearly too hot to be doing any outdoor activities anyway. It is actually, yeah. I was saying that to somebody recently. It's They actually don't like the really intense heat. You know, it's, it's too hot for them. So yeah. I think next week it's nice for Monday and Tuesday and it's a little bit cooler Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Well, okay, brilliant, Jack. Yeah, my kids are going to um, a summer camp next week as well, and they're really excited. But it's all on the proviso that, that it's not raining. So if it starts raining, then they'll be very disappointed.
disappointed. <laughs> so will I. <laughs> uh, listen, thank you so much for taking our call this morning, Julie. And you mentioned there about cool camps and we do have Paddy O'Brien um, from the GA who is um, running cool camps. Good morning, Paddy. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, cool camps are going ahead. Yes, indeed. They are going ahead. Yeah, this year we've um, we've we've a hundred camps throughout Cork. Um, I suppose at, at the end of the day, we'd have approximately fifteen thousand kids. Fifteen thousand kids. Is that what you said? Yeah, fifteen thousand. Yeah, approximately around just just above it. To be honest, just above fifteen thousand. Okay, and obviously, cool camps would be outside, so that's why they're able to go ahead. Correct, yeah. Like the GA still at the moment, we're not allowed to use any indoor facilities whatsoever. So even in the wet days, even though we haven't had one in a couple of, in a couple of weeks, but on the wet days, they have to stay outside. So the kids are outside, and you know what? They're happy out. They're happy out as long as they're playing. They don't mind what they're doing or what the weather is. They just keep going. And have you had to make any changes because of the restrictions? We've had a course, yeah. We had a course. So basically what we've done is that Due to the restrictions, and obviously um, we have to make sure that the kids are safe. So all the kids, when they arrive, they're put into their groups. They, they're put into an area of the pitch, and that is their area for the day. They don't come outside that area, so there's no mixing of age groups, no mixing of kids. They stay in that in their pod. So approximately a pod of 20, and we had two coaches with that 20, and they, they stay there. And what we do then is that they have their lunches, they have their everything, and the only time they leave is basically go to the toilet to refill their water bottles or go home. And what so, about a situation where it starts to rain? Um, like Judy was saying there, that it's going to be nice on Monday and Tuesday, but there is rain forecast for next week. So uh, what would happen in that situation? They get wet. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunately the situation. Yeah. And like we do, we, what we do is we send out notification to the parents in advance just to let them know that that there is no case of where we can bring them inside or bring them to a dressing room. Even bring them into an underneath a stand. Um, some clubs have small stands. We, won't, we don't do that. So basically what we advise is to make sure that the kids have the proper clothing coming. So if it's wet, to make sure they have rain gear. Okay. The only extreme circumstances is if there is, you know, there is absolutely pelting rain. And in that situation, then like we might have to cancel the camp early or call it off or whatever, you know, but it's very extreme. Normally we, we would keep them going and the kids, the kids, as I said earlier, the kids will come. They'll come out, they'll come out, they'll, they enjoy it. They enjoy it. Someone makes mm. it further west. <laughs> <laughs> and what, for children who haven't been at cool camps before, what can they expect? Basically, the, the most important thing about cool camps is that it's, it's fun, okay? Mm. It's fun for the kids. It's not a training session. It's not where we're working on skills. What we're doing is trying to provide a bit of entertainment for them, playing games, as much games as they possibly can. And that's what it is. It, you know, you're not going to come away after a week of cool camp to be a brilliant holder or footballer. Yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully you'll come away after having a bit of fun with your friends. You know, and that's, that's what the cool camps are about, really, is just have a small bit of fun with your friends while you can. And I mean, that's so important, isn't it? So like these camps, um, I know a lot of people have, uh, somebody asked me one day, like, why would you send your kid to a summer camp? Like, but what, they, you know, things like this are important for them. It's, you know, to stay active in the summer, isn't it? And, and to mix with other kids and, and keep that kind of socialization going. Absolutely. Yeah. Because like you have some kids there and they might see their friends from the, the end of June when they get their holidays again until they go back to school in the first of September. You know, so like what we're trying to do there, and I suppose all summer camps are the same, is just to provide, provide, I suppose, opportunities for the kids to go and meet up with their friends, and I suppose in, in, in a fun environment and in a safe environment. And that's what all the camps are trying to do, you know, and 
yeah, it's great for the kids. Because you see them there and they, they'll be delighted on the Monday morning when they arrive in and they see their friends for mm. probably the first time in a couple of weeks and sure they're delighted with themselves. And are the kids still getting the backpack and gear? They are. They're still getting the, the pack. They, what they get now is um, uh, a, a, a T-shirt, um, a half zip and the backpack. I think the backpack is nearly the most important thing for school. When they go back, they have it under for their school bag. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the end of camp water fights? Do they have to be postponed now because they're of... banned? They're oh, banned. No. They're banned. <laughs> they're gone. They're gone. Uh, yeah, for the time being, we have to obviously because those situations would be what everybody was chasing around after each other. So yeah. no, not when they're in their pods. When oh. they're in their pods, we leave them there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Paddy, thanks so much for joining me on the opinion line on Corks ninety six FM this morning. Now earlier, I was speaking to. Minister Anne Rabbit and we were talking about the Cork Life Centre and Councillor Mick Nugent has been in touch on 083 396 96 96 to say Cork City Council passed a motion in support of the Cork Life Centre last night. Thanks very much for keeping us up to date on that. Now um, we were talking about the heat and some of us are finding it a bit too much but what about our pets? Um, John Carmody is from the animal rights group Aaron and he joins me on the line now. John, good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, John, how difficult is this heat for our pets? Well, you know, it's. I, I think I'm just reading there. I think we're moving up to like 29, 30 degrees at the minute, mm. uh, where we will be in the next couple of hours again. So it's going to be hell on earth um, for any animals, uh, Fiona, that might be um, out in this weather, let alone and then being trapped in the cars. And one would think that, you know, we would have learned our lesson from, from many years of hearing of deaths of animals trapped in hot cars mm. um, and sadly we have to kind of go on the radio stations and um, get as much press coverage as we can to kind of appeal to, to people and your listeners definitely this morning just to leave their, their companion animals indoors in this hot weather. What about people who leave their dogs in the car and they leave the window open? No, it's, it's a good question actually but here's the thing, I mean first of all even people might think it's okay to bring their dogs out for a walk in this weather. And the reality is, is that if you wouldn't put your dog into a frying pan, don't bring the dog out in this weather. The, the, the tarmacadum, the concrete is scorched and hot. It would burn into their little paws um, and it could bring on even heat stroke. And, and a lot of, you know, the guardians of these animals may not mm. be aware that this could actually happen. The other bigger problem, Fiona, like you just said there, is that even for like a, a minute... I would strongly advise anyone that's listening to this morning and to please spread the word that dogs or any kind of animals should not be kept in any cars in this weather, not for a couple of seconds, not for a couple of minutes. It could be detrimental. It could bring on heat stroke. Um, and that's then where the problem uh, lies. And and we hear of cases all the time in, in this weather. And mark my words, we might hear of it before the end of the week is out. So here's a good opportunity now to sit up and take notice for sure. And why would people leave their dogs in cars? Is it a situation where they're going to work and they have nobody to mind them or they're going shopping and they just decide to leave the dog in the car for an hour and how much damage could be caused in an hour? Well, it's not even in an hour, Fiona. It could take literally um, a couple of minutes before the heat stroke starts kicking in. Um, you, you'll find that the, the dog starts with restlessness, um, excessive thirst, um, kick saliva, their heavy panting, um, that kind of thing. I remember about five years ago at the time, we'd done a demonstration. We had an activist wear a fur coat, nothing but a fur coat, and she mm. trapped herself in a car in Dublin. It made huge press headlines at the time, and it shocks people into the reality of keeping animals uh, in these cars. But the reality is people do it all the time. If you go for, if you're in around town, you'll often see people having their dogs tied up outside, even for just a couple of minutes. Mm. They run into the supermarket or the chemist, 
are, are the shop and those dogs are left there on the, the leashes and they often come out and those dogs are gone and before you know it they're ripped up in a big dog fight somewhere um, you know a couple of nights later but with regards to this there's no excuse at the minute um Sitting into my own car the other day, I mean, the seats were just boiling, yeah. so let alone putting a little dog in, 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 in on the sweater, you know. And you mentioned there about um, bringing dogs out for a walk and that their paws are not able for the, the heat of the concrete. So um, if anybody has a dog, would you recommend they wait and walk them maybe in the evening time? Or is it even still too hot in the evenings to bring them out? Absolutely, yeah. And it, it is, even up until about 10 o'clock last night, it, it was just becoming unbearable. Not sounding dramatic by any means, but I think yeah. any of our listeners will, will, will attest to that fact as well that it, it's, it's way too warm. If possible, just keep those dogs out of the, off the tarmac, at them off the paths for now. It's just too warm. And make sure there's lots of water as well for these little animals to drink. And I, I seen a little video of Fiona actually a couple of nights ago on, on Twitter of a little pit bull and, you know, his guardian was spraying cool water on the poor dog, but he just couldn't handle the heat. Um, so here's the thing with, with any of us that might have little companion animals and it's just it's not always the, the popular dog the ones that we know only too well but other kinds of little animals that that share their their, their lives with us as well just to sprinkle a little, little bit of water on them in this weather um, there is enough water out there for that so I, I can add it. And what about getting coats clipped? Of course I mean yeah well that absolutely it's not going to do a hell of a lot but it will definitely okay. um, you know help the dog that has to wear us, you know, in this weather. Yeah. So for sure, but it, it's very, very serious, and I, I think it's a serious message that we all should um, put out in our social media channels on Twitter and on Facebook, um, just to pass on the message to keep dogs out of these hot cars. And what I would say as well, Fiona, if I can mention this to any of your listeners that are listening at the breakfast table this morning, <laughs> is that if they do come across a situation where there is a dog trapped in a in a car, um, there's a few things that they can do. First of all, don't leave the scene. Uh, take a note of the registration players, the, the the make and the model of the car. Uh, try and get someone else to go into the nearby, whether it's a supermarket or a pharmacy or a shop, just to, and and to make an announcement that there is a dog trapped in the car. I would absolutely ask anyone to record this as clearly as possible, and definitely call the guardie as well. Don't take a minute um, to hope that the, the the person will come back, and um, because you could pull in essentially a dead dog out of the car within minutes if if someone doesn't step in to try get the animal out. And this is isn't being dramatic. This is an absolute reality that we would probably hear about in the next few days. In saying that, I hope to God that doesn't happen. Reporting it to the Gardaí, will they, um, I don't, not that they won't take it seriously, but like, is it a, is the person committing a crime by leaving the dog in the car? Absolutely. I would 150% say they're going to get themselves into serious trouble um, if that is the case. And But it happens every year down to... I don't know. It, it, it does happen. Mm. And it's it's... For, for many reasons it does happen and but it shouldn't happen um, and I'm hoping that you know with, with us all talking on the, the radio stations this morning around the country that um, a bit of awareness will go out there and um, people will, will leave those animals indoors uh, John, just in relation to another animal issue, um, there was a Panorama documentary aired last night about racehorses and um, it was over in the UK but many Irish horses are, um, are, are, being, are sent over there for the slaughterhouse. Um, what's your reaction to what was shown on, on that footage last night? 
Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, actually. It's, it's, it's a hot topic at the minute. It's, it's, um, the whole country is talking about this last night. And who would have thought, Fiona, in 2021 that we're now starting to question um, horse racing? Because for years, we only heard about, you know, buying animals from breeders and animals in circuses, the poor elephants on the chains and the tigers going around in circles in those filthy, dirty, rusty cages. But, you know, and we would have said it when it wasn't probably a proper, a popular topic about, for instance, you know, betting on horses, um, being raced, or even we we now know about the greyhounds being raced, mm. but now the light has been shined on, on on horses being raced, and the reality it came out last night on the BBC Panorama documentary. So it's over for your, your listeners to see exactly what became of that. But I think the reality is it's all about questioning, you know, where we stand in this day and age in using animals, and and I think that it's another old-fashioned industry that, in time to come, um, it might be another ten or fifteen years, but we'll definitely see. Uh, a huge shift in that industry as well where there'll become a day where we just won't be racing horses no more than we'll be racing those poor misfortune uh, dogs mm. that are greyhounds. Um, but there's been a big shift and a huge amount of awareness of cat has come from the documentary last night. Animal rights campaigners have been saying it for years but finally came from another avenue and they've kind of backed up what we've been saying as well, you know. Brilliant, Sean. Listen, thanks so much for joining us and for talking about that and for anybody who wants to see that, it was on the Panorama on BBC last night. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back. Fiona Corker in, in for PJ Coogan on this Tuesday morning on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. If you want to get in touch about anything that we're talking about on the show today, phone 1850-715-996, text 083-396-9696. And the email, as always, is opinion at 96fm.ie. Now, Cork mother Vera Toomey has been fighting a lengthy battle to have medicinal cannabis funded by the HSE for her daughter, Ava. She joins me now with an update. Good morning, Vera. Morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm you... very good. Um, got a little bit of good news for for a refreshing change, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me now, what, where are you? What's what was the good news that you got? Um, I got a call from Stephen Donnelly yesterday, Fiona, to say that Ava's um, um, bedrocan med- medication is it's going to be funded up front into the future now. So. Um, that's what we were. That's what we were hoping to achieve in in the recent times. Um, because the cost was really high. It was really, it was difficult. It was nine and a half thousand euros every three months for Ava's medication. You know, which she couldn't do without, mm-hmm. obviously. So, um, into the future, it just wasn't going to be. It just wasn't going to be manageable unless we had the cooperation from the HSD. So. Thankfully, at last, um, we achieved that yesterday. You've been funding that yourself, so have you? We have been we have been funding that ourselves. We 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 were in a we were in a better position, in fact, than than other people. I should mention that that there mm. are some people that still aren't being um, reimbursed their medication at all. Um, but we 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 did have to come up with the we had to come up with this uh, this money every three months and then wait five weeks for it to be reimbursed. So it was um, 
you know, it was it was very it was very difficult. It was a constant, you know, it was a constant worry for us, constant worry. And you've been fighting this for quite a while now. Um, I think is is Minister Donnelly the third health minister that you've had to deal with. He is actually Fiona. Yeah, he we. I mean, it it seems a long time ago since um, Leo Varadkar was the minister for health, but he was the first minister that we approached in 2015 about this issue, and subsequently Simon Harris as well. Um, so, I mean, I'm. I'm keenly aware, you know, that there are other people out there that would be pleased that we're being um, funded up front but aren't being funded themselves yet. Mm. But I do think, again, particularly after speaking to Stephen Donnelly yesterday, you know, he is very interested in moving this situation forward, I feel, or, or at least to say that he's more progressive than the, the prior Minister for Health that, that we had experienced um because in terms of, we'll say, you know, arranging delivery of the medication permanently and now funding it up front for us, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's, they're small steps, but, you know, something is happening. And uh, it's, it, I'd be hopeful that more will come for other people, you know, because there's a lot of people that need access to it still. What kind of changes have you seen in Ava since she started taking this Bedrocon? Um... Look, I think I think maybe the clearest the clearest way to put it is that prior to having access to medical cannabis for Ava, we were spending between four and five months of every year inside the CUH. Mm. The seizures were constant; there were seizures daily. Um, you know, you were you were looking at hospital admissions. You know, every week or ten days, or you know, for short periods, for longer periods. It was constant. It was absolutely relentless. Um, and since we since we started the um, the medical cannabis medication, she hasn't had an emergency admission into hospital, which for a child with her condition is remarkable. Um, so it's it's night and day. You know, it, it it it's given her a life. It's given her the ability to play, to attend school. You know, she's still got Dravet syndrome. You know, it's still mm. it's still a difficult it's a difficult diagnosis, but her life is her life is better with it. You know, and and she's still with us because of it. I think you know, which it, it pr- probably is the the most important thing of all. And are you still getting the Bedrocan from Holland? Yeah, we are getting the Bedrocan from Holland. The name of the pharmacy over there is the Transvaal Pharmacy in the Hague, where the oil is produced. Um. And up until now, and and continuing into the future, we, we're getting the the medication delivered um, okay. to us. Um, I I imagine that in the future there will be a point where the bedrocan will be moved into the pharmacy situation, and it will be dispensed from the pharmacy. But it's being delivered to us at the moment, and you know now that now that this this now that this prohibitive cost is removed from us like I, I hope that there'll be steps taken to benefit other people as well and there's also the cannabis access program which they have now funded um, and I understand that there was a very positive health committee meeting in the last week um, so that's going to be I think rolled out in the coming months so you know hopefully hopefully more people will get access. Vera, um, for yourself and and for Ava, how difficult has COVID been and the lockdowns have um, have they just added to your difficulties? 
Oh, it's been it's been shocking. It's just been it's been really it's been really really difficult. And you know the it, it, our personal experience has been if as if as well. You know the seizures are under control, but not being able to go to school, Fiona, not being able to meet her friends and interact with the teachers and everything. It, it just left her, I, 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 I think maybe other parents could relate to this as well. I think mm. some of the kids are now depressed, mm. you know, be, because of the break in routine. Um, it's affected her walk a little bit. So we're, we're kind of, we're trying to get her back on her feet again with the walking to walk maybe longer distances. Um, but it, it, it was, it was, a, it was an awful blow. And I, I mean, it's, it's sort of, I think that it's coming out of the COVID now that you you really see the the the, the damage that's been done. That you've got that a lot of us have a lot of work to do to bring the kids back up to where they were prior to COVID again. Mm. Yeah. Like I don't know if you heard my conversation with Julie Sweeney earlier this morning, and she was saying no, that sorry, because of I the. Didn't. The, the case numbers rising that you know there is the concern now about letting your child go back out into into society. Would you have that kind of a fear for Ava? It's just it's it's. It's ongoing, you know. It's it's really scary um, because when you've got, <clears throat> excuse me, Fiona, when you've got when you've got a child with this condition, you know, the the COVID numbers may go up and down, but your child's condition remains the same. Their vulnerability remains the same. So, I mean, even you know, dropping the kids down to to training, down to camogie or to hurling, you'd be really nervous. You're kind of you kind of feel like, you know, you're standing back from other people still because that fear is there. Mm. Um, so it's just, uh, it's just very scary. And I suppose, you know, they do say that, like, you know, if, if you're if you're vaccinated, you're still vulnerable to it a little bit. And like any vulnerability is is nerve wracking for somebody that that's got a child with a condition. So I didn't hear that lady speaking, but I I can understand her concerns. You know about going back. It's 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 just very frightening. But on the other hand, if they don't go back to school and if they're not interacting with their friends, then there's other issues to contend with or other problems that can raise their heads. So I, I I don't know. It's just it's just difficult. Whatever way you look at it, I think. Yeah, it certainly is. It sounds it. Um, well, I suppose just for for today, um, you're celebrating anyway after having get, gotten that great news yesterday from Minister Donnelly. Yeah, it's 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 really we're just we're just really happy that that her situation has been resolved mm. and you know I just I'm just hopeful with him that I'm just hopeful with him that you know he's he's interested in doing something surrounding the cannabis and I think there there has been a lot of work done but you know when you're waiting for when you're waiting for the results it's 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 hard it's hard mm. waiting you'd like to you'd like to be able to attend your consultants, get a prescription and see whether this medication works for your child. But like, I, I just, I just feel that, you know, um, you know, Michal Martin has been very, very positive around this issue for us. Mm -hmm. And I think that his input into this, I think he was to say the least encouraging Stephen Donnelly to, you know, um, to, to work on this issue for people, and you know, there's there's other there's other there's other politicians as well in Cork, mm. like um, McBarry and Tommy Gould, 
who are doing a, a lot of work behind the lines to try and help people as well. So hopefully, hopefully, you know, more people are going to get access in a fairer way into the future, I hope. I really do. Yeah, hopefully they do. And best of luck to you and Ava Vera. Thanks very much for joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning. We were talking about the weather and the heat and I was saying earlier that um, you know, if, if people are stuck for meal ideas, because I know yesterday I was thinking my children really needed to start eating a healthy meal after being on holidays for a few weeks, uh, but I really couldn't be bothered getting into the kitchen and cooking up a storm. So uh, we have, and I've seen a lot of people tweeting yesterday evening similar ideas you know some people are kind of saying they're a bit sick of salad or a bit of bar- barbecues um, and they were looking for ideas so we have um, Jack O'Keefe he's the chef from Ireland AM and he's also from Cork more importantly and he's joining me on the line this morning Jack good morning Good morning Fiona what's the story? <laughs> have you got any help for me? I can't go into the kitchen to cook a healthy meal for my children <laughs> How long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, have you got any like simple ideas that won't take very long but are going to be healthy? Because there are probably a lot of children uh, like my own who are not really fans of salad. Um, and uh, if I do a barbecue, all they want is the burger, even if I do salad and everything else. Um, so, you know, if you wanted to cook a healthy meal, what kind of have you got any tips for any kind of simple ideas that won't take very long in the kitchen? Look, the, the best thing to do, I find, is when you're looking for meal inspiration, is take, when you're looking out at the sunshine and the lovely weather and you're like, what am I going to eat in this weather? I don't want to barbecue. Transport yourself mentally to a holiday, a place where you wore a few years ago with similar weather, maybe mm. a little bit warmer. So I always tend to transport myself straight back to Italy, <laughs> into the middle of Tuscany somewhere. And a few bottles of Chianti later, I might crave a bowl of pasta. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's quite like with, with, with summery, hot climate food, food that comes from sorry countries with hot climates mm. they tend to be a lot lighter than the food that we eat here in Northern Europe yeah. which is always heavy cream and if we're barbecuing it's loads of beef and it's high amounts of saturated fat etc yeah. but with Italian diet it's all about polyunsaturated so that's olive oil extra virgin olive oil balsamic vinegar really light healthy pastas so right. what I would do is a pasta pomodoro is one of my favourite dishes and it's my dinner tonight because it's the perfect <laughs> weather for just spaghetti and tomatoes and okay. not tomatoes from a can Go into your good supermarket or the English market if you're if you're in Cork. Not mm. that I'm jealous at all, being stuck <laughs> up here in Dublin uh, with no English market. <laughs> go in, get some real tomatoes, feel them, squeeze them. Be that weirdo that goes in the supermarket and squeezes all the tomatoes. Find a nice, soft, ripe one. Yeah. If you think they're about to go off, that means they're perfect. Okay. Take a tomato, dice them up. If they're cherry tomatoes, it's half a quarter of them. But if they're full tomatoes, just dice them up roughly. Keep all the insides and all that bits and pieces. It's all good. It's all flavour. It's all fittings. And yeah. you get about four cloves of garlic if you're serving two people or three people. Four cloves. Thinly slice it, like that scene in a, not the Sopranos, what's it called? Goodfellas. The scene where they're inside in prison slicing it with a razor blade. Because <laughs> I suppose that's what the kitchen feels like at the minute, isn't it? Prison. Especially when you're and you're locked inside in a stainless steel box. <laughs> but okay. thinly slice your garlic and just warm it up in a pan with a ton of olive oil. Right. Until it's nice. When I say a ton, that means about four tablespoons in my language. Wow. Uh, olives in get them nice and golden lob in your tomatoes toss it around for two to three minutes cook your pasta for six minutes lob it into the pan toss it season it with salt and black pepper pop it on the plate with some fresh basil and it's so summery it's banging with flavour and the minute you take that bite you're like going, Ooh, I'm on holiday in Italy and then you have the depressing thought when you open your eyes and go no I'm still in mallow <laughs> 
<laughs> Still in my back garden. Yeah. Um, and any other thing like that, that sounds really good. And I think that um, that would appeal to everybody in the family. Uh, yeah, like, so with, to go with that kind of stuff, then like, what I'd like to do is like little flatbreads and things like that as well. So, mm. or even for the, the smallies, actually, what a great idea is for them is like these little pizza pinwheels. And I've done these on RLDM before. And they're inspired by my nephews because they actually eat them a lot. Right. And it's just pastry that you buy in the supermarket in the roll. So it's the normal just roll puff pastry. Yeah. Uh, pizza sauce across it. Uh, nice light filling. So if I was at home now, I'd definitely be using some West Cork mozzarella. Shred it up. Oh. And it's a really mild cheese mm. as well. So it's perfect for children. Fresh basil. Roll it up like a Swiss roll. Cut it into slices and then pop those slices into oiled muffin tins. And then roast them off at about 220 degrees for 15 to 20 minutes. And you've the nice, you've these lovely little pocket-sized pizzas. They look, they aren't super, super healthy. Oh, they sound delicious, filling, though. <laughs> but they're filling. You know what yeah. I mean? And you have your carbohydrates in there. There's a bit of protein in there. Is to pizza sauce a vegetable? I don't know. If we're in America, they consider ketchup a vegetable. So <laughs> Just maybe it is. And it is. <laughs> <laughs> look, my problem with salads is like to make a salad appealable for mm. a normal Irish human who's used to miserable, depressing weather all year round. Yeah. It has to be covered in a mayonnaise-based sauce, yeah. which completely defeats the purpose of it being healthy or needs to be mushed up into this weird mush that's been chopped up for us to like it. Yeah. You know, where kind of the beauty about salads is you to keep things simple keep things clean and crunchy um, yeah and it, what I find is if you kind of either char grill or pan fry a few nice courgettes and bits and pieces like that to add it, make it a bit more meaty without the meat right. it kind of makes it a bit more easy for people to eat rather than just these salads that you open the bag and pour the chopped lettuce in and it's just this raw bitter crunch um, with a big lump of coleslaw on the top yeah. and a good, like a way of kind of creaming up a, a, a salad without adding loads and loads of mayonnaise and saturated fats to it is get low fat yoghurt a little right. bit of maple syrup and some lemon juice so if you're using let's say four tablespoons of yoghurt you'll need about ha- the juice of half a lemon and then about a teaspoon of maple syrup or honey whichever you prefer and just whisk that together and it's an absolutely stunning dressing and it's a very very kind of North African Middle Eastern inspired It'll go very well with like cos lettuce or romaine lettuce or iceberg, maybe some pomegranate seeds, a bit of avocado. And you can even cook off a grain because in my salads, I always put grains from. So like in the winter, I'd be putting barley. In the summer, I'd put quinoa, wild rice or whole grain rice that's been cooked off and tossed through. And then again, you're adding tons of fiber, you're adding tons of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. You're bulking yourself out. You're filling yourself up. You feel more satisfied. And if you're more satisfied, you're more happy. And you don't crave that steak, do you? Uh, no, <laughs> but it's not me trying to convince other people in the family that they don't need the stay. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But just mentioning steak there and the barbecue, and I suppose um, for a lot of people, a barbecue means burgers and steaks and all that meat. Are there other options for the barbecue, like, you know, doing fish on the barbecue? Like this morning in our lane, we did mussels. Right, okay. <laughs> so beautiful mussels from uh, from Roaring Water Bay, and they were just class. Just a skillet over the charcoal, got the skillet nice and hot, into the skillet, pop some sliced shallots, sliced garlic, and some chorizo. Once the kind of chorizo released its oil, they popped in some tomato paste, then the mussels, popped the lid down the barbecue, and when the mussels were popped open, they're done. Mm. Take the skillet, pop it in the table, load of fresh sourdough, and just dip away and chunk in. That's one. If you don't like mussels and stuff, or if you're, if you say you have family members or guests coming over and they're vegetarians, mm. you know the best vegetable for it is a cauliflower. Uh, what I love to do is take a cauliflower and peel off the green bits from the outside that that come that kind of wrap it up. Right. And rub it in kind of barbecue spices. So just whatever your kind of barbecue spice mixes, whatever you're planning on putting on that big rack of pork or your ribs, just rub that on the cauliflower. Okay. Light your barbecue, nice and gentle heat. Put the cauliflower over to one side, away from the direct flame, and just let it roast inside the barbecue. And then cut it after 45 to 50 minutes. It'll be nice and kind of dark and charred on the outside, and in the center it'll be super creamy because once the outside charred, the in- inside of it tends to steam inside in its own flavor. Mm. And you get almost like, on the outside, you just like really charred, delicious broccoli crunch, and on the inside, you just use like steam, soft chewable broccoli or cauliflower it's just stunning and actually on the topic of broccoli if you have no time at all someone has rocked up and goes hey surprise I'm not a vegetarian and you're like oh god <laughs> broccoli steaks cut a broccoli up if it's a normal head cut it up into four wedges rub those wedges in olive oil some garlic powder and some paprika and just char them over the charcoal and serve them al dente I mean where they're still a little bit raw yeah. it's just so crunchy and the flavour of the broccoli and the smokiness of it is just phenomenal phenomenal that sounds really good <laughs> and what about doing um, because uh, we had a barbecue there the other day and the coals were still there lighting away and I just felt that okay we could do more with this now after we had had our dinner so can you do uh, desserts healthy desserts like fruit on the barbecue why did you have to say healthy <laughs> <laughs> okay well, skip out the word healthy there <laughs> <laughs> so uh, get, get some lovely camembert or brie the one that comes in the little wooden uh, kind of, you know, you go, when you're in, in the market or a farmer's yeah. market, you see the, the brie that's inside in a little wooden kind of parcel. It's like almost like bamboo wrapped around it. Right, yeah, that's yeah. That's perfectly fine to put into the barbecue in its container. Just remove any plastic that's on it. Right. So put the cheese straight in, in that piece of wood and it'll heat up inside the wood and it'll take on this lovely smoky taste and then you get some figs and just cut up the figs. Take the cheese out once it's nice and melted and then take the lid off it sprinkle your figs on top, sprinkle a little bit of maple syrup or honey over it and then just get some crusty crusty bread or crackers or some breadsticks or whatever. And then for the kids, like marshmallows and strawberries is just the best thing ever over it, over a barbecue. So I get a skewer or like a long tongs or a spatula or whatever, 
get your jumbo marshmallows, put a marshmallow on, then get a strawberry, put that on, and then sandwich it with another marshmallow and just toast it over. And when the strawberries heat up, they become super ripe, and all that strawberry juice kind of drips down the skewer into the marshmallow. Oh, yum. And it's, just, oh, it's, so, it's so good. But even like you could do things like you can do stewed rhubarb over the barbecue. If you've, if you've heat left in your barbecue, the coals are still there, chop up some rhubarb or even just apples, chop them up, throw them into a casserole tray, a little bit of sugar on them, put it over to the side of the barbecue, put your lid down. And while you're enjoying the rest of your evening, your, stew, your apples can be stewing away, melting down. And then the following morning, you just have a big bowl of yogurt with some stewed apples. And all you have to do then maybe like toast off some porridge oats or get a bag of granola and just sprinkle a little bit of granola over the whole lot. It's a delicious breakfast. And you're, you're using up what would have been wasted charcoal or wasted mm. gas. You know, and it's kind of, I suppose, every little helps. Oh my God, that just all sounds so amazing. <laughs> um, I'd say it must be difficult working as a chef in this weather, is it? Or do you notice? <laughs> oh, sure, Fiona, I'm retired. I'm oh, out, I'm out right. stud now. I'm doing nothing. <laughs> you're just sitting at the back doing all this lovely barbecue view. No, no, I'm not. I'm in the office. I'm in the office in Dublin. So uh, it's a good thing my office has no window. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cloudy out there at the minute, so. (laughs) Listen, Jack, thanks so much for sharing those tips with us. Um, Hopefully our listeners will take some of those on board and have some ideas for later on this evening. And if you are out in your back garden and you are uh, having a barbecue with some of that uh, lovely food that Jack was talking about, don't forget that Cork's 96FM's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival, is back. We're streaming the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Listen on our app or go to 96fm.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this Tuesday morning's Opinion Line. Now, a listener has been in touch via WhatsApp on 083-396-9696 with a question about leaving dogs at home. It's a first-time dog owner here and I'm hybrid for work, working in the office later this week. Any tips for the dog while I'm in the office? Now, John Carmody from Aaron, who I spoke to, earlier in this programme and Fergal um, from the research desk have some tips here. They say if you have air conditioning, definitely try to set them up indoors with that. Try to have a small little water bath. Indoors or outdoors try and make sure they're in the shade and that there's a lot of airflow. Dogs sweat mostly through their feet so try and have them in an area of cold ground. Remember while kennels have great shade, they often have poor airflow. So I hope listener that you'll be able to take on board some of those and that some of those tips help and if anybody has any other suggestions or ideas they can get in touch with us on 1850 or 0833 Now my next guest was told when he was a teenager that he had a life-threatening uh, cancerous tumour on his brain and he went for surgery three years ago and today he is uh, alive and well and here to tell us about his uh, milestone birthday today. Good morning Aaron. Hey, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. Aaron McMahon, um, today is your 21st birthday, is that right? Yes, it is. (laughs) Happy birthday. (laughs) Thanks very much. (laughs) So Aaron, um, when you were uh, celebrating your 18th birthday, you were in a hospital in the US after having surgery on your brain. So how does it feel now to be able to celebrate your 21st? Um, (laughs) it, it, It feels weird, like, you know, having a big milestone like this, being told you weren't going to sleep after 18th, 
and now three hours on and then you're living in your life with family and friends like celebrating it you know it's it's mm. it, it feels weird uh, knowing that you've you've beaten all the odds mm. and have you any plans for your for your birthday celebrations or has covid kind of changed the plans that you probably would have been able to have uh, over the weekend, we had some uh, small little party just to kind of celebrate with family. Mm. And it was probably one of the best nights I've had in my life, you know, because it was such a big thing for everyone, do you know? Yeah, absolutely. And Aaron, um, you know, I said there that you were in hospital, so it's it's also the three-year anniversary since you've had that surgery. Now, um, for people who don't know, you had um, a tumour called cordoma, and it was a tumour yeah. on the brain, and yeah. you were told that um, the likelihood of survival was very small, but you did have this surgery in the US. Can you take us back to the day that you were going in for that surgery? You must have been absolutely terrified, given that your, your age as well must have added to it. Yes, like, if you think about it, I was, I was 16 when I was first diagnosed with the tumour in Ireland. Mm. And, like, it just went on a roller coaster from then, like, you know, it was, like, fight mode, if you know what I mean. Uh, you know, it was just, mm. like, I didn't understand it fully at the time, you know, because you're, you're in school, all you're doing is worried about school and sports, and then you get told that pretty much on hold while you're fighting this cancer that you don't understand at all. Yeah. Like, if you read about it online, there's so much different things. Like, that's one thing I've learned. Yeah. <laughs> Not to look yeah. up anything. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Google, avoid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, it's, as one would have said before, it's like a roller coaster. Like, it's just, it just keeps on going. You're like, it's 360. Like, it just doesn't stop. And, and how are you now? Um, I think I've probably been the best I have in the last three years, but I still not, you know, shaking. If you know what I mean, I still haven't fully got over. Like you know, hmm. it, I'm still like kind of worried every day with this. You know, every time I get like now, if I go for scans and stuff, I just get really, I get like panic attacks and stuff like that. Before it. Hmm. I work myself up thinking I'm going to go in. And then get sit down with the doctor and said, "Yeah, it's not good news." So it's kind of like worrying every day. Mm. It's kind of like my life's on hold because of it. And like, is physically, are you okay? Uh, well, I wouldn't be lifting like a lot of heavy stuff, like you know, mm. with the, after the strokes and stuff. I'm still trying to, you know, work on all that stuff, but it's just a very slow process for me. And did you think that three years on, you would still be suffering these side effects? Uh, honestly, I didn't even think I'd see three years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think I'd get this far, like, you know, it's all the stuff that's been said to me over the past three years, like, you know, it, it's, it's a, like a surreal field, you know, kind of that, it's just kind of, it, it's, as I said before, it's kind of weird, like, it's a weird feeling, you know, kind of, it's like a, it's like a kid on Christmas uh, for my birthday, you know. Mm. I was so excited to see 21st birthdays. I didn't celebrate my 2018th, really. Mm. I was kind of on surgery that day, and then, then I was in the ICU and all that, like, so I kind of didn't really celebrate anything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it was good, like, to kind of be around family, having a laugh, 
you know, with everything going on in the world right now, like it's like it's like it doesn't stop for mm. anyone, you know. Nothing waits for you, like you just gotta kinda control your life and you gotta move on. Like if you as I was there for like a year or two dwelling on everything that happened, trying to see if if I could have done something, mm. if I should have noticed something that was wrong. You know, I kinda it's kinda like blaming yourself, thinking you sh- I should have done this and done this and I should have like got better advice and stuff like that. And were you able to finish your time in school? No, I haven't I haven't been able to do that with the memory, the brain damage. Right. It's it, it's hard, like, because you're trying to find something then for you. Like, because I feel like going back in school would just be very hard to do. And that's what I'm going to find, trying to find courses now that I could do as level five and six. Right. But it's so hard to find what I like after being out of school for three years, you know, kind of that cycle. You're kind of just, I feel like I'm stuck where I am right now. And are you able to get a job then because of the memory or is that something that you've been able to consider even? I, I've, I've been trying to find something, but it's just kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, it's like me kind of driving. I'm not I'm not meant to do that until I get help with the memory and stuff and the right. brain damage and stuff like that. So like, it's kind of like, um, I want to work, but I also know I shouldn't right now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm kind of like, I'm bored off my head going through, like, especially with COVID-19 right now, locked inside 24-7. And so were, were you obviously a vulnerable case, so have you been locked inside since March last year? Yeah. Oh, God. It, it's, it's been a long 12 months, like. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt like the the cancer journey went faster than COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> and so what are your hopes now? Like, I mean, um, you were saying there that you're working on um, the physical side of things. And, yeah. you know, um, like, are you hopeful that you will be able to, to, to get a job and, and to kind of start to resume a normal sort of a life? Um, that's the plan, but like, I, I just don't know how long it could take. Like, I, I don't want to be stuck in the same position two, three years down the line again. Mm. Because no one wants that. Like, not even like someone that's in sport. If they get injured, they want to be straight back out there. Mm. And I feel like I want to do that as well. Like, you know, but I just feel like I'm, I'm too wounded for that right now. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I just like. I just don't know when the roller coaster will stop. Basically, it's, there's like there's hope and then there's doubt, mm. and that's the problem I have right now. Is kind of like motivation as well, like you know, especially with lockdowns and stuff like that. Just kind of shattered the hopes. It must be very tricky for you to get your head around the fact that you did have this surgery and it did save your life and for that you'll be eternally grateful but at the same time then you're in this situation now as you said like you are filled with hope but there's also dread there's the unknown yeah. the uncertainty of the future it's kind of yeah. a, a difficult position to really be in isn't it? Yeah it is like you're always thinking where am I now? That where Where's my American life? You know, everyone wants to kind of remember something. Mm. And I kind of want to be, make America something new. I want to make America something just then be remembered. Oh, he had this cancer and it killed him, but he survived, you know? Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to move on from that. I don't want to be dreading on it anymore, you know? Mm. I kind of just want to move on and live a normal life like some people. Yeah, yeah. 
it, it's it's hard, like you know, because you always like when you go outside, you'd always have people coming up to you asking you like stuff, and it's hard to say you're actually doing okay when when you're actually just stuck in the same place for the last three years. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Like <laughs> you were talking there about, um, you know, the the dread that you have when you go for checkups. Like, are you going for yeah. regular checkups then all the time? And are they going to continue for the rest of your life, or you know, will there ever come a point where you won't have to go for these checkups? I'm hoping I won't. I have to go for checkups uh, for the rest of my life. But from from everything that's gone on in the past three years, I probably would have to get every six months, like I am now. Uh, every six months scans and everything like that bloods and all that stuff yeah just to keep up to date because it's such an aggressive cancer like it's do you know yeah and it, it was it was a very rare cancer wasn't it yeah as you said it was one in a million adults and then one in uh, one in ten million I think they said for yeah. children wow. so like I was always said it was a rare kid but not this rare <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's um, like, do you know, I just think to to get a diagnosis like that must be just so hard to process. But I can't even imagine trying to process it when you're 16 and then, yeah. you know, like going through that surgery at that age and, and coming through it now. And you're still such a young man, you know, don't want to yeah. be... Um, what am I trying to say you know I don't want to be uh, putting you down or anything but like you know you are still a young man and yeah. you should be looking forward to your to your yeah. life and the life that you have yeah. ahead and it's it must be a, a tough slog at the minute to try and get through the days and get through the weeks and months and as you yeah. said you've come through COVID as well which is just like added to it yeah <laughs> let's not talk about COVID because uh, I think everyone else is in the same boat as me yeah <laughs> this is true everyone wants rid of it like <laughs> and when you were talking there about courses is there anything in particular you'd really like to study I, I've always had a fascination with like uh, media and stuff like that don't get know? into media <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've been told <laughs> it's a tricky place <laughs> But uh, yeah, you want to get into media, is it? It's something like that, or like photography, something that will keep me going, you know, on my feet all the time. Mm. There's a couple of different things, like, you know, but it's just kind of, I'm looking into it and uh, considering what I should do with everything and how I am right now. Yeah. How will that do for me in long terms if I ever do get sick again, which yeah. is a big possibility, like. Like mm. how secure will I have, will I be if I do get sick, if you know what I mean? So you have to kind of make plans for that then? I, yeah, to be honest, even if I don't even talk about it, I'm still trying to make plans in my head in the future. Like I want to be secure and I also want to like be able to, if I ever do have a family, which is probably, you know, slightly less than everyone else. <laughs> 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 but like, uh, I just kind of want to make sure if, anything ever happens in the future, everyone else around me will be okay with what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a big burden for a person of just 21 years of age. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, you know, it's got to be done sometimes. I mm. still have... I'm hoping I still have another 60 to 40 years in me, like. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what are you going to be doing now today? Have you? I know you had a, a celebration there with people over the weekend, yeah. but um, any anything nice on the agenda for today? 
Uh, I think I'm just meeting up with uh, some family friends down out today uh, about lunchtime. They're going to take me up for some lunch, I think. Lovely. Trying to take a bit of a chill day with everything because it's, it's weird to celebrate something, you know? It's, yeah. It celebrates 21st birthday with everything that's actually going on in the world, you know? You kind of feel mm-hmm. guilty as well because people are also stuck inside, you know? And I understand what they're going through when they're stuck inside. It's like, you know, people have sickness and... You know, and then it, you see everyone else celebrating their stuff, you know, mm. going out and stuff. It's hard, like, you know, it's it's hard. And I feel bad. I'm I'm now celebrating my three-year, like, surgery, over the surgery and my 21st. Yeah. I feel bad for celebrating it, but also I feel good because I've, I've kind of overcome, like, certain things that everyone said I wouldn't, you know? Well, listen, Aaron, you deserve to celebrate and you deserve your happiness and hope you have a great day today. And listen, thanks so much for joining us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM this morning. In relation to some comments, Kev has been in touch with regards to the interview I did with Aaron McMahon to say, is that five years ago? I remember his dad on the radio at the time talking about it. Great to hear he's doing well. We've also had a caller saying people are giving out about those who are on the PUP going on foreign holidays. It's not their fault that they're on the PUP. I have more of an issue with the government fast-tracking foreign travel so they could go on holidays themselves in the middle of a pandemic. And finally, uh, Fiona has been in touch to remind us that there are four ex-Eglinton students going to the Olympics. Meg Ryan, her coach Emma Mammel for gymnastics, Louise Shanahan, 800 metres, and she's taking time out from her PhD in quantum physics at Cambridge, wow, and Margaret Kremen in rowing. Amazing stuff, really. All four past pupils. Don't know if any school has that many. Anyway, attention for women, athletes, all Cork and all went to Eglinton and best of luck to all of them. Now um, after, in the next hour I will be speaking to a man who is walking around Ireland in nothing but his speedos. The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back to the final hour of this Tuesday's Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM with Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan. Now there's been a lot of people contacting us with regards to the COVID helpline and wondering how to get through and the number is 1-800-851-504 that number again is 1-800-851-504 and I know some people are saying that they're trying to get through and they can't and I think um, you just have to to keep trying It, it, it does take a few minutes to get through but hopefully um, any queries that you have uh, just contact that number and um, hopefully that will get you sorted now I said before the break that I was going to be speaking to a man who is walking around the country in nothing but his speedos and he joins me on the line Speedo Mick good morning Good morning, Fiona. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Um, so, Speedo Mick, your real name is, is Michael Cullen, and um, you're from yeah. the UK. But um, tell me a little bit about why you are walking around Ireland in your speedos. Well, what's happening on on this uh, two thousand mile walk? It's called the two two thousand mile Speedo Mick Giving Back Tour. Right. And, uh, I'm walking from Stone away. And um, I started on the 31st of May, and um, I'm going to walk through, well, I'll walk through Scotland, England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales. We started off in Scotland, and obviously 
we've done that, uh, and we do taking in the five capitals: Edinburgh, Belfast, Dublin, Cardiff, and London. We've done um, Edinburgh, and I've walked it to obviously I've, I've I've gone to Belfast, and now I'm walking down to Dublin, and then Cardiff, and then and then and then to London after that. So um, yeah, so what what so what's happening is uh, after uh, doing a really uh, exceptional. Uh, fund it, you know, people donated a, a, a lot of money on my last walk. So what we're doing on this walk, because I just started my own uh, foundation, the Speed on Mix Foundation, we're walk, on this walk we're going to be giving a quarter of a million pounds out to charities along the route, who, who, who uh, small charities who've been suffering because of the pandemic, uh, they're being unable to fundraise. There's a bit of a crisis going on at the moment with these charities, and they are literally the, the, the safety net that catch people that fall through the um, you know fall through the system, and there's a lot of people falling through the system because because of a uh, you know there's the the the, um, the support network is just it's just not there as much as it mm. used to be. So um, so these these uh, charities which support communities right across England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales are being suffering financially. So instead of just being on the um, finance. Um, Foundation setting their own projects up. We've just decided to give a quarter of a million pounds out to charities, you know, who were already up and running. They've already got the service users. They're already helping people. And everything's in place. You know what I mean? The only mm. thing that is, hasn't been in place is the, the finances. So that's what's happening on this war. And how have these charities been hit by COVID? Pardon? How have these charities been hit by COVID? Well, they're unable, they're unable to be unable to fundraise and they depend on fundraising. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So no one's been able to go out and fundraise, you know, and, 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 and so what's been happening is the uh, the services they provide, they're having to drop them out and drop them out. So you've got, so we've donated to a, to a charity in Scotland that um, somebody, uh, somebody's a 13-year-old girl, it, it, um taking her own life. So mm. the mother had set a charity up. So what they were doing, but they were giving, um, you know, the sending sending children to, you know, psychologists and, and, and stuff like that. But they had to drop them out because they, they, they couldn't raise it. They had 35 attempts in the, since the um, pandemic started to try and raise some funds and they all kept getting cancelled. So the they couldn't uh, finance any of the kids anymore, yeah. you know what I mean? So now they are, and I'm getting a message off off the charity saying, you know, we've got um, another eight children in to do to, 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 to get some therapy, and, and the, the, the parents are, are just so over the moon, and, and obviously it will be benefiting the children. There's so many causes out there, you know what I mean, to be honest. And Michael, it's an excellent uh, it's a, it's an excellent thing that you're doing, and the fundraising obviously is helping these charities in in so many ways. Why did you decide to set up the Speedo Mick Foundation? How did all this come about? Well, um, I've, I've had me struggles myself in my life. I've uh, I've been fighting my own demons for a long time for for many years. Uh, actually, up until I was thirty six, so I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic, and. Um, and that childhood trauma. I'm not blaming anything. I was blaming a lot of things in my life uh, for, for for a long, long time. But now I'm, I'm taking responsibility for myself. It was my actions and what what, what took me to the places mm. that I went with uh, pretty um, dark, 
dark, lonely, and isolated, isolating. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm an addict, and and um, you know things things went from bad to worse for me. Like I said, I'd lost my family, my dignity, my self-respect, and I made me home, and everything what was good good in my life was gone. So I never really had much to live for, you know. And um, I'm getting, that was over 19 years ago. I'm 19 years uh, clean and sober now. Over Brilliant. 19 years. And, well, fair play to you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But that that was that was didn't seem to be. Um, it just didn't seem. It, it was. It was. There's, there was no way that, that uh, I'd lost all hope. I was a hopeless case. They called people. They would call people like me a hopeless case, and I f- it felt that way. And um, you know, I tried to take my life, my own life, a couple of times myself. You know, but I got I got help, and um, and for the first time in my life, I accepted help because I was trying to figure it all out myself. And I'll fix it tomorrow. I'll fix it tomorrow, and my life will start tomorrow. And it mm. never did. You know what I mean? And then, and then I eventually I just surrendered because all I was doing was fighting from since I was a child. I was just fighting and fighting and I just, you know, I never give up. I surrendered. Sometimes you've got to surrender to win and I've never looked back since. I'm 19 years, like say, I'm 19 years. I've got my family back. I've got my self-respect, self, uh, self-respect back. And, um, you know, I'm, li- I'm living my best life now at this age than I ever have, you know, and that's because of recovery, basically. And can I ask, why are you walking around in just your speedos? Like, what's the, the well, symbol of that, or why why did you decide well, to do that? <laughs> well, <laughs> well uh, besides, be, besides me, uh, you know, I'm, uh, you know I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, I can be a little bit out there as well, <laughs> you know. With, uh, so, so, but what happened was, it was, uh, I, I, um, I decided when I, when I did get uh, clean and sober, I wanted to do. I wanted to live like I had the chance. I had a second bite of the cherry, and I wanted to make uh, the most of it. You know, mm. so I wanted to do some stuff, and I decided I was going to swim the English Channel. I'd never had a swimming lesson in my life. This is the addict in me. I'd never had a swimming lesson. I went. See, I seen uh, David Williams getting in the water. I went. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do. That. I'm going to make me mark by by. Swimming the English Channel. Anyway, I booked the boat the next day, <laughs> and then and then I started getting swimming lessons. Oh my god! <laughs> I joined a, a few swimming clubs and stuff, you know. But in the in the real book, it said you have to um, you have to wear one set of goggles, uh, one, one swimming cap, and and one um, one garment for the men above the groin. And I said to me wife, "What does that mean? One garment above the groin?" She then she just started laughing and said, "You've got to wear a pair of speedos." And I said, I'm not, I'm not, there's no way I'm not wearing a pair. Anyway, I made a few phone calls trying to, uh, trying to make it, you know, to say, I'm, I'm not wearing them. Anyway, I got over myself. I got over myself. And, uh, yeah, I haven't sucked them off since. I went to Everton's football ground because I'm an Everton's force. Like, and um, I went to Everton's football ground and, uh, you know, the fans were just, like, cheering. They were donating and stuff. So I went back. A couple of weeks later, and 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 done a bit more fundraising, and, and so it was just fundraising for charities yeah. all across the uh, Britain. Then, do you know what I mean? But um, now and you have Everton, the Everton logo on your speedos. So are you getting a lot of stick have, from the Liverpool fans then, <laughs> from Liverpool FC? I don't, 
I don't seem to get any 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 stick from the Liverpool fans, <laughs> to be honest. Because it, it, even even because what I started to do after that, before the, all the walks, and that, I was going to all the games in my nephews and with a bucket in my hand, great fundraising, and people just respected it, and and you know. <sighs> Uh, I never really got I got applause more than booze or or, or um, <laughs> any abuse. You know what I mean? So <laughs> fair play to them. Been, you know, okay, even even Liverpool Football Club invited me onto the pitch when I when I done me, me last walk, which was a thousand mile walk from Land's End to John O'Groats in December and January in nothing but me undercrackers. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I do like to challenge myself, but that's all part of me living my life to the full. And will you be coming you know, in your uh, in your speedos to Cork? Will we get to see you here on Lee side? <laughs> oh, you you sure will. I'll, I'll I'll put the smallest pair I've got on. Well, I've ordered. Listen, I've ordered. I ordered a load. I ordered a load of um, a load of new knickers. Do you know what I mean? And um, yeah, some of them have come up a little bit small. To be honest. <laughs> so you're keeping them for Cork. So. <laughs> <laughs> and when will you be in Cork? I will be in court in, let me see, in about, let's see, yeah, when will I be in court? So, I'll, I, I, well, I'll, I'll be in, uh, I'll be in Limerick in about five days, so I'm not sure how, okay. exactly how, how far Cork is from So people just have to keep an eye out for a man walking around Cork in a very small pair of Everton Speedos (laughs) they'll know it's you and they can give you a shout Well listen thank you so much for talking to us this morning and um, if anybody sees Speedo Mick on his travels please give him a wave even if you are a Liverpool FC fan Um, Now um, we have um, the Best of Cork Awards and um, I'm just going to read out they're they're back again now this year and uh, we want you to nominate places and services that are the best in Cork. The categories are best hairdresser, best beauty salon, best bar, best barber, best breakfast, best coffee, best takeaway, best local tradesperson, best gym, best restaurant, best workplace, best hotel, best burger. So if you have anybody that you want to nominate for any of those categories, go to the 96fm.ie, nominate your favourite, the best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie, find trusted local plumbers, electricians, locksmiths and more with a 12-month guarantee backed by Gosh. Energy on Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96 FM. Welcome back. Uh, just in relation to the conversation that I had there with Speedo Mix, somebody has been in touch on 083 to say, opinion line, I have watched Speedo Mick on TV. He walks through rain, hail and snow. He's such an amazing man. Keep up the good work and you look great in Speedos. <laughs> I'm sure he would be delighted with that. Thanks very much for, uh, for that comment and best of luck to Speedo Mick. Of course, he is raising money for for a number of different charities and um, if anybody does see him out and about um, they they can um, they can uh, support him and I think his hashtag is 2000 mile giving back tour um, and he is walking across um, 
Ireland and the UK. Um, John Quilligan is just in touch as well to say I met this guy on the radio at Anfield and I have my photo taken with him in the middle of December and he was out in the blue speedos. <laughs> Fair play to him because I was kind of thinking about how he's getting on walking around in the sun but yeah, walking around in the snow <laughs> in a pair of speedos. I'm sure his skin matched his um, his briefs. And We might go to a song next and then after that we will be speaking to an Irish zoo designer who's working over in Berlin this morning which kind of brings me nicely to my next guest who is a zoo designer Kieran Stanley an Irish zoo designer over in Berlin do you have zoo, uh, wolves in your zoo? <laughs> <laughs> well uh, uh, hi first of all um, depending on the zoo I suppose yeah uh, yes and no yeah. depending on the one we're, we're designing at the time but there are wolves in the uh, Berlin Zoo and just tell me a little bit about um, the, the, the the zoos that you're designing over in, in Berlin. Like, are they different from the concepts that we've had over the years here and across Europe? Um, well, it, it depends. You don't always actually get to, you know, have the luck to, to, to design the whole zoo at the same, at the same time. Mm. It kind of depends on the phase that the zoo is in. Some zoos... They do um, try to go forward with a master plan and, and then we sit down with them and we kind of develop a, an overall strategic plan that will kind of encompass everything they need to uh, design going forward, I, su- I suppose. And then so some other zoos have got a particular, um, you know, aspects of the zoo that they want to improve or maybe there's areas of the zoo that don't have enough space for the animals so that they really need to improve, um, you know, depending on the, the, the European regulations. So if the European regulations say, you know, you need a certain amount of minimum space for chimpanzees or Mm. for different animals, then the zoo needs to react. Otherwise, they're not allowed to keep those animals. So that's our job then to, I suppose, focus in on one one particular project. uh, Here in uh, Photo Wildlife Park, obviously, there's a lot of uh, research that goes on there and a lot of uh, conservation projects. Is that Mm. the kind of idea that you're trying to bring in over there as well? Well, I think well, it's 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 something that that zoos. I think a lot of people don't realise the amount of work that zoos are doing on in the in the area of conservation, um, and uh, they should really be talking more about it. You know, the, the phrase "do good and talk about it." Yeah. Um, there's a lot of zoos do a lot of great work. I mean, Photos doing great work. I mean, Photos ahead of its time at the time. Mm. I don't think many people real, realised at the time the amount of space that they allocated to the animals was fantastic. Um, and at the time, and the barrier, kind of the, the the appearance of there not being any barriers, is always really appealing to to visitors. Uh, they integrated into the landscape, so there were there was a lot of really forward thinking at the time in Fota, and we're still, you know, we still approach it like that. Actually, it's more of an immersive experience that we do. We try to take the visitors on a little journey, mm. you know, into the into the areas where the animals live, and not the other way around. You know, it's. Um, it used to be the case, well, it still is in some old zoos, but it used to be the case that, you know, visitors are kind of asked, or it used to be kind of like you put the animals on show. Mm. Uh, there was even people on show in the older, you know, the ancient, the older zoos at the very beginning. There was, you know, importing people from Africa and putting them on show. And, and thank that... God that's not, <laughs> that's not there anymore. <laughs> and has that whole concept been really taken on board by people in Berlin and across Europe? Well, it's not. Yeah, worldwide there is a there is more a different approach. The the approach is more. Um, it's more of a, a spatial aspect for the animals to, to have, and to try and um, increase the amount of space, and go beyond any regulations. And Kieran, um, so the regulations. Yeah, sir, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. no, sorry, sorry. I thought you had finished there. Go on ahead. 
<laughs> no, there's, um, they, there's, a, there's the approach is now more the case of um, definitely more space for the animals, for starters. And it's more than to try to um, get the visitors to, into a, or to in, engage them in a story somehow. Mm. And that's what we like to do, at least. That's what we call it, story building. And if you can in, in, engage the visitors in a story and kind of have them immerse themselves into the landscape where the animals are living, then the chances are that through that change of perspective that I'll, I'll actually get to know and appreciate that animal a little bit more than I do before I have to visit. And Kieran, um, how did you get yeah. into all of this zoo designing? A pure accident. As, as, as anything in life, uh, you meet the love of your life usually by pure accident as well. Um, but, uh, I mean, I fell into it by... I, I started working... I left co- college in um, in 93. Uh, I qualified in, in, in architecture in Dublin. And then um, I headed over to Germany um, just to kind of, you know, take on the world. And uh, I, I started working with a, an office that had just got the commission to develop the master plan and the zoo in Hanover. And so I, I, I ended up, I couldn't speak a word of German, but I ended up um, leading the, the design team um, in, 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 the, in heading up the master plan. So what, what happened there was it's less to do with architecture, it's more to do with the holistic approach of architecture and landscape architecture and didactic and you know having to taking people on a, on a on a journey through a space so we kind of approached it like that and i fell in love with it i guess and um i've been doing it worldwide ever since fantastic and um i believe you went to school in this very building with our own fergal <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. christian's <laughs> christian's boy through and through um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, and we're still, we're still very much in contact. That's the great thing about social media these days. We're still, even though it's like uh, practically 30 years later, we're, yeah. we're still very much in contact, which is, uh, it's a great, it's a great uh, advantage, you know, just to keep segments of those, of that reality going, you know, and uh, insights into the people's lives. And do you get home much? Um, well, we do now, actually. We just, we just um, um, bought a house in Cove. So we just renovated it, and um, so we, I do get back more often now. Fantastic! So it's really nice to yeah to touch base and to hear the to hear, to hear the uh, the accent again, like, and then to top <laughs> up on it. It's always good. <laughs> Come here, boy. Yeah, <laughs> but that's, that's a terrible my, Cork that's accent. I'm not actually from Cork. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> the, the, the minute the minute I start talking to anybody from Cork, my the accent just goes haywire. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about um, the situation in Berlin at the minute with regards to COVID and restrictions? Um, uh, you know, are things starting to ease a little bit there? Are numbers on the rise? What way are things over there? It's it's a kind of a seesaw at the moment. There were uh, about three weeks, four weeks ago, it started. Uh, they started lifting the restrictions uh, again, which is fantastic. You could at last eat outside, or if you had a test, uh, a negative test, you could go and. Um, eat inside in the restaurant, mm. which, were, which is a fantastic step in the right direction. But now the numbers are, are starting slightly to increase again. So um, they're, they're now wondering whether they need to change the rules and regulations again going forward, which is kind of a daunting, uh, you know, look forward because we're, everybody was kind of looking forward to slightly coming out of the caves, you know, and, uh, and developing their businesses again. Um, and so what we're probably going to see is through the Delta and the, and the other mutants that are on the way, I think it's going to be a, a, a much slower um, move forward, I'd say, than, than we were hoping. And do you think that Germany has handled it well? Uh, 
I so you know no actually not not yeah. necessarily. I mean, I think it was basically what's happening is uh, that's is when politicians try to make the make decisions that actually that um, scientists should be making. That's always a mistake. Mm. Um, so uh, it's kind of it, it's okay, but it could have been a hell of a lot faster. They really didn't get the they kind of missed the boat on the, uh, the vaccination. Right. Uh, in fact, everybody they were. I think we were just a bit too busy, you know, being with our having our noses up in the air. Mm. And um, kind of pointing at everybody else, and we kind of missed the boat, basically, literally. Wow. Um, so, and then they caught up on that. Um, but it took about six months before the the, the, the actual vaccination started working, um, as in up and running. Mm. And then it, it did seem to work. I mean, you know, I was just asking myself, how come they didn't get the simply get the military on, involved um, to simply get get something that needs to be structured and rigorously structured and up and running fast? I mean, that's that's what the military do. And I, I just don't know why they didn't get them involved uh, to help and support, you know. And Kieran, before um, I let you go, obviously we've all seen yeah. the devastating images of the flooding in um, Germany. And have you awful, yeah. witnessed any of that yourself firsthand? God, no, thank God, no, I didn't. Uh, in Berlin and Brandenburg, it's been, uh, it's been saved from that. It's mostly in the very far west of Germany and it's hit Bavaria now. So basically... Um, there's over 150 people dead, for God's sake. That's, that's just devastating. That's, that just doesn't happen in Europe, you know. This mm. is what we, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a game changer, I think, with regards to, you know, the way we need to design our cities. And the, to, to, they need to be, cities need to be designed to be sponges going mm. forward. And, you know, they need to absorb this amount of rainfall is going to keep happening more and more and sporadically. So um, we need to design um, public spaces and, and these cities to be able to take that up and to, to be able to absorb that amount of water without the rivers busting, breaking their, you know, their banks all yeah. the time. Um, so, I mean, it's going, it's, we're lucky in Berlin. We were very lucky. We were safe from, from anything like that and any of the devastation. But I do know, um, I was calling a couple of friends over the, the last couple of days just to make sure that they're safe and they were in the west of Okay. West of Germany, and they were they were, were lucky enough to have avoided it, but some of their friends and family weren't so lucky. It's awful, isn't it? And like the effects of flooding is just desperate. We've seen um, some of the effects here in Cork, but not to that extent, oh, thankfully, you know. But um, listen, thank you Cork so much. Cork is very is, is, can be devastated by it. Mm, but, yeah. But, um, yeah. Thankfully, we haven't had any loss of life, though, um, especially on the scale that they've had in Germany, which is uh, which is good. Listen, thanks so much for Kieran. Thanks very much for the chat. I really enjoyed that. And uh, now we're going over to something different. I'm going, joined by Rachel Woodlock, who's going to talk to me about Eid. Um, good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Fiona. I'm very well. I'm very well. Thank you for joining me. Now, uh, today is the start of Eid. So what is Eid? Can you just explain to me a little bit about what it is? It's like Islamic Christmas. It's the biggest celebration of the year, and it tells the story of Abraham and his near sacrifice of his son. But in the Islamic telling, it's actually Ishmael who was Hagar that um, was on the chopping block, so to speak. And so Muslims all get together and have um, a big pray up. And then, if it's not a pandemic, lots of socialising and parties and booze and visiting friends. But these days, it's a little bit more socially distanced. Mm. So, what will you be doing to celebrate then when you can't do the usual celebrations? Well, we've been doing a bit of WhatsApping, but then getting a bit technological and sending around lots of. Rachel, sorry for interrupting you there, but it's a really, really bad line. Are you able to maybe move somewhere else or. Yeah. So, um, so we'll be doing a bit oh, of... Oh, yeah, that's better. That's much better. Thank yeah. you. 
sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm in rural Tipperary, so it can get a bit patchy at oh, times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I work at Cork. I work at UCC. So, ah. um, so we'll be, you know, catching up over the over the WhatsApp and the FaceTime and, and sort of waving. At least, you know, because the weather is so nice, we can actually get outside and perform our prayers outside mm. um, and, you know, wave, wave at an appropriate distance with each other. And is there, how many Eids do Muslims have? Are there two in the calendar? Yeah. Okay, yep, so we get two. Yeah, most, most people know the one that comes at the end of the fasting period, at the end of Ramadan. Um, so that's when, um, you know, Muslims don't eat or drink during daylight hours for, for a month. Yeah. And then they have a big party at the end of that, again, with lots of food and, and celebrations. Um, but this one is associated with the pilgrimage. So if you, if your viewers have seen, or your listeners have seen the big black cube, the Kaaba in Mecca with all the pilgrims, um, going around and around and around and around. Well, they're essentially, um, replicating the types of things that Abraham and Ishmael and Hagar believe, were believed to have done. So it sort of it ties it in with that old Abrahamic story. Okay. And why do they have to have two then? Why, what's the, the reason for that? Um, just because um, I suppose like we've got Easter and Christmas are two different celebrations. The Ramadan fasting period is a month that celebrates when the Quran, the scripture of the Quran was given to the Prophet Muhammad. And so Muslims will fast and will, at the end of that period, they, it's a bit, a bit of a job well done celebration um, with lots of food and feasting. And then this one is because it's actually quite arduous to go and do the pilgrimage. And, and Muslims believe that if they can do the pilgrimage at least once in their life, they'll mm. have all their sins forgiven and their their slate wiped clean as it were um and that's a big deal and and sort of i guess it again ties us into the same connection that we have with um jews and christians in in connecting to that that story of of abraham being willing to give everything up um in the islamic telling actually um it's a dream that he has so so god's kind of spared the the ramifications of saying you know please kill your son which sounds a bit nasty (laughs) (laughs) and why is it such an important time of celebration for muslims Uh, i guess again it's that you know the notion that a lot of the islamic practices are really about trying to purify yourself trying to live a moral life trying to do better and in pilgrimage and it's about giving up all your attachments to this life so um, the pilgrims will don um, white, you know, bits of clothing that that they, if they've gone on Hajj, they'll actually be buried in. Um, and the notion is that they actually present themselves before God absolutely equal. So it doesn't matter if you're a king or if you're a pauper, you um, present yourself um, before God in the same way. And that you learn that, that, you know, these things that we're given, these joys and these wonderful gifts that we're given in this life are really gifts and we should be grateful for those. Um, and at the end of the day, we, you know, we, we don't take anything into the grave. So um, we should be, be aware. And also because the, the sacrifice is actually connected with um, Abraham's sacrifice, a ram was substituted. So Muslims will donate in charity to have a butcher um, slaughter a, a, an animal and that meat is then given to the poor. Um, so, you know, in, in um, these days, it's sort of a, a very slick production. So you can go online and you can donate your 70 quid or so and, and say, I'd like this um, meat to go to a specific place, you know. So this year, um, you know, if you, if, particularly when there's big crises events, we tend to think about areas where, you know, people are really, really suffering. But it also can be for local people too who have just, you know, on the poverty line and they just don't have much at all. And it's a time for us to really think about them and to reach out to them as well. 
Brilliant, Rachel. And how will you be celebrating yourself today? I'm very quietly this year, just with my family. I'm a bit nervous about all this Delta variant mm. stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a panic merchant, so <laughs> I'm obeying the government. I'm not going out and socialising. I'm just, I'm just keeping it very quiet. So it'll just be with my family this year. We'll have a nice lunch. It's so nice to eat outside and call my family and friends over the phone and, and just be, and hopefully for next year that it'll be a bit more social. And are there any particular foods that you like to eat? Like, you know, the way we always have a um, traditional Christmas dinner here with turkey yeah. and ham or whatever. Like, is there a traditional type of a dinner that you have for eat? Well, lamb usually features pretty appropriately on the menu, <laughs> given that it's uh, the traditional lamb that was sacrificed. <laughs> so, I mean, you can get little e greeting cards with very nervous-looking sheep. <laughs> so, but other than that, it's really cultural. So, and, and Muslims come from so many different parts of the world. Everyone kind of sort of thinks about the Arabs, but there's actually more Muslims in Asia. And in Indonesia is the world's largest Muslim country. Um, and that's right, you know, kind of near my neck of the woods. I'm originally from Australia, even though I've been here for, for donkeys now. Yeah. But um, so it just depends on what your culture is. So in, in Ireland, it could be, I guess, well, it's not going to be bacon and cabbage. <laughs> It'll be halal bacon and cabbage. <laughs> but yeah, just whatever takes the fancy. Some lamb sausages, maybe. Brilliant. Well, listen, enjoy the celebrations and happy Eid to Rachel and happy Eid to all of our Muslim listeners here on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM this morning. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. A reminder for anybody who does want to go to see Elton John in Cork next year, the tickets for that are going on sale this Thursday. Now, uh, obviously with the good weather, there are many of us flocking to the beaches around Cork and other water sources and we thought it would be a timely um, time to speak to uh, Peter O'Shea of the Ballycotton Lifeboat about water safety. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Fiona. Good morning. Uh, yeah, as you said, I suppose the beaches are really busy at the moment with the hot weather. Mm. And um, I suppose it, it's still good to remind people that the normal warnings really still apply despite the calm conditions. It, there's still hazards at the beach to be mindful of, like, for instance, dinghies, inflatables. You'd still be advising against them. They, you know, they can still get cut out. Yeah. The, the wind can change still quickly. We could get an offshore breeze. There's tides and rip currents that you don't see under the water. That that we see the serene, lovely blue skies and the flat camp conditions at the moment. So it's um, it's still easily enough to get cut out. I suppose as well, if you see someone doing something, because there's a lot of people at the beach at the moment, it doesn't mean it's safe, and it might mean it's safe for you to do it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, because so I suppose some people are stronger swimmers than others and, you know, just because you see somebody heading away off out into the distance doesn't mean that it's safe for you to yeah, do Yeah, they might be swimming, they might be uh, swimming and training there every day and then you, you haven't been to the beach in, in, you know, since the last time weather or so. So mm. I suppose it's still best to swim at a lifeguarded beach between the flags, follow the instructions from the lifeguard and, you know, any warning signs you see as well. And I suppose... You know, we're all struggling to be out in the heat at the moment and think of the lifeguards. They're, they're young people. They're out working long hours to protect the people at the beaches. Mm. Uh, apparently, a, a, a lifeguard can walk up to 10 miles a day in, during their job. So they're out in the heat. And um, it's just not, good to be nice to them and respectful to them and uh, listen to what they have to say because they're not saying things to people to ruin their fun. They just want them to be safe and get home and, and uh, you know... 
And Peter, like it probably seems like an obvious one to remind people off, but um, maybe remind them anyway that you know a lot of people will be going to the beach for the day and they'll be having a barbecue, maybe having a few drinks. Um, do you know what are the dangers of swimming straight after you've eaten or if you've had a few drinks on board? Yeah, I suppose alcohol really in the beach don't mix at all. Mm. You know, um, yeah, after eating is always said to be said to be bad for swimming as well, um, cause cramps and things. So yeah, I suppose. Heat, you've got heat stroke, you've got heat, you've got heat exhaustion first and then heat stroke, like for, you'd say, for heat, heat exhaustion, you'd say the best thing to do is cool down, but, you know, you might actually be best not to alone in the sea because, you, you know, one of the symptoms of heat exhaustion is to get confused. Mm. What's happening as well at the beaches is, is kids are, kids are wandering off, becoming dehydrated, getting confused due to heat exhaustion and then they can't find their way home. So it's not actually in the water, but they could end up in the water in a confused state because they're super, not supervised. So I suppose just to remind the parents that like it's all great fun, but you just need to keep an eye on your kids at all times. The dangers aren't just the water at the moment. The dangers mm-hmm. are, the sun is a big danger. So drink plenty of fluids and um, sunscreen, which is which is kind of an obvious one. Mm. I suppose another big one that's happening at the beaches as well is, is the parking. Yeah. Um, people are parking all over the place. Uh, you know, just be mindful not to block entrances to people's houses that are living there all the time. I suppose be mindful and respectful to people that are living living close to the beach all the time. Mm-hmm. Emergency services as well and, and disabled uh, parking spaces are, you know, needed at all times, especially the emergency services might need access to the Coast Guard, the ambulance mm-hmm. service. The Gardaí might need access to the beach. So I suppose if you're at a really, really busy beach and there's no parking at all, it's probably not the best place to be anyway. Um, yeah. One of the other ones as well is, is just take take your litter home. I suppose it's not about a lot of rules and loads of things that you should and shouldn't do. It's just about being respectful of others and staying safe and leaving the beach as you found it. And just take your litter home um, when you're leaving and pack it up and... Um, there isn't a lot of bins around at the beaches, but but just it's it's yours, it's your responsibility. Mm. And um, I suppose going away from the beaches a little bit, coastal walking is is some seems to crop up uh, quite a lot at the moment, and it's just people walking along the coast, and it's just to know to where they're going, to plan their route, and to to, to think about um, the possibility of being cut off by the tide, and try to avoid being cut off by the tide. Yeah, because I was just going to ask you that about being cut off from the tide because we've already had a number of incidents like that in Cork and I suppose for people who are going for walks like that should they just try and familiarise themselves with the tidal patterns before they do that? Yeah, and I suppose familiarise themselves really with the local conditions and how fast the tide might come in in that particular place because, you know, we'd be familiar with our local conditions but in, in some places the tide might fill in a lot faster than you would think and it's it's in closer a lot quicker than, than you imagined so I suppose you know it's great going for an adventure but it, it just needs a little bit of planning beforehand and before you set off because um, you could get caught out and you could get could get caught off in a, in a kind of precarious situation where where a rescue might be difficult 
And what about um, undercurrents? I know you were saying there about busy beaches and obviously those busy beaches are the popular ones and the ones that may have a lifeguard there. But um, a lot of people who want to avoid those kind of beaches may know of like a secret little beach somewhere. Um, But should people be really aware then of undercurrents in these like, you know, more kind of quiet beaches and more private beaches? I suppose like the, the, the quieter beaches you, you might refer to as people might have been going to swim in these places for, for decades and they know what it's like. But mm. for someone on their holidays, they mightn't be aware of the dangers. And, you know, like I was saying, follow the lifeguard's advice. You can't do it in this case. And, yeah, there could be rip currents there and you could get pulled out and it's, it's completely out of your control. So I suppose, especially for people that don't know the local conditions, just be very mindful of and and of the risks that they're taking, you know. Um, one of the things that uh, Fergal and myself were talking about there earlier is the amount of fish that are coming up to closer to the shore. I mean, we've seen a lot of f- pictures and videos on social media in particular of beaches in Cove or in Cork that have had jellyfish in particular coming up. And I even saw a video yesterday of a beach over in Kerry where uh, basking sharks, sharks were coming up to the shore. Have you any advice for people if they are swimming and they come across this kind of an incident? Um, like I was swimming in a beach there the other day and there was loads and loads of jellyfish in the water. Yeah, so I suppose it's a matter of researching beforehand to know what are the jellyfish that um, can sting you and which ones which ones can't. And at the moment I see though there's such a mix of the jellyfish there that there is ones mixed in amongst the other ones. So so there is ones that can sting you there um, certainly on the beaches at the moment. So And it's just of doing the research beforehand and knowing what precautions to take and um, how to avoid the, 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 the worst impacts of the sting than if you do get stung. Things like basking sharks. Uh, basking shark has a big, wide-open mouth. It's it's not actually going to cause you any harm um, intentionally. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a filter feeder. It's called a shark, but it's, a, it's, a, it's um, not going to cause you any harm intentionally at all. But, um, yeah, it... I would imagine it would scare most people if they saw the fins of a basking shark. They would, would, would think it's something else. It would indeed. Peter, so. listen, thank you so much for joining us and thanks for all of the advice. And if anybody is going to the beach or any kind of a water source today, please stay safe. Thank you very much for the team here today, Wayne, Fergal and Katie. We'll be back again tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.